Wimkert um, told us about a couple of experiences that he had where he said that God showed him certain things and told him certain things. And um, later that day, me and Elmery was were busy discussing that and talking about it. And I think there are so many ways that God speaks to us. So I've ap- absolutely no problem with a person saying, God told me to do something, even if it wasn't like an audible voice or whatever, but God makes us aware of certain things. And um, last night I had an interesting experience. Usually when I, when I do a sermon on a Sunday morning, I get up really early and then I go through my sermon once more to just see that there isn't something that I want to change in it. And then afterwards, I take the sermon and I take my, my PowerPoint and I kind of go through it. Oh, no, first I, I print the, the notes and um, then then I go through the PowerPoint and I mark all the places on, on the notes um, for Herman at the back there because it's not very bright. You have to kind of like, and, um, <laughs> sorry, Herman. And, uh, and so uh, for some other reason, last night, when I finished everything and I sent my PowerPoint to Herman, I thought, I need to go and print this now. I thought, but why? I do it in the morning. And, and I was just absolutely convinced I must do it now. So I walked to my PC and I printed three copies of it. And I put everything on this stick. And so I was kind of good for this morning. So uh, about two o'clock last night, some shady characters chopped off three power poles there close to Lafarge, close to the quarry, and stole the cables. So we have been without electricity since two o'clock this morning. If I didn't do it last night, my printer unfortunately needs electricity. But now, I never marked on my notes where my slideshow changes are. And, you know, this is kind of like hours later, even my laptop, the the battery has run out. So I go and sit at my desk and I thought, well, I'm going to have to do this from memory. And I looked at my laptop. Now, I I realized it shut off because the battery was flat. I looked at it and I kind of just felt this absolute (laughs) thing in me. It says, turn the thing on so that you can go through your slideshow, so you can mark it properly. So, hit the power button. Up comes my laptop. It boots up. I quickly go to the PowerPoint. Now I'm rushing through it to get it done. And as I make the last dot on the last page, the laptop never even gave me warnings about low power, because that little thing in the right hand bottom corner was the big exclamation mark. So when I made that last dot, my laptop just said, bling pong, shut off. So, I can also say, God told me last night to do the printing. God told me this morning to turn on that laptop and do it. Because God is almighty. He can even power up my laptop if it needs to be. So, my little picture is up there. I, I just need to tell you, that's my bike. <laughs> also need to tell you that it's in the far western, northwestern corner of Namibia, and it's a viewpoint that on a clear day, 
if you not look that way, but this way, you can see the ocean. So you look across the skeleton coast and you can see the ocean. Well, I think that's a rumor because I've been there three times and I haven't been able to see the, the ocean, but it wasn't clear enough. But there are many beautiful places on this earth. And surely, all of our perceptions of beauty differs. I mean, to some, that picture would look not so beautiful as it looks to me. But the fact is, in order to experience places like that, you have to go there. You know, you can look on the internet or I can show you pictures of the places I've been to. And, and you can kind of see what it looks like, but you can't experience it. You miss out on, on the stuff like the heat and the wind and the ruggedness and even sometimes the dangers inherent in those places. That afternoon when I was up there, I, I knew it wasn't the responsible thing to do. I was on my own, hundreds of kilometers from nobody. And, and, and uh, my GS riding friend there at the back would tell you that KTMs are supposed to be not reliable. <laughs> but I decided to sit there until sundown. I wanted to take pictures of the sun as it's going down. And so I did that. And afterwards, I had about a hundred and... 40 kilometers to go to the closest town, which is Piros. And uh, I first contemplated sleeping on, on that little copy day. But it was so windy, I mean, it would have been a, a really a hard time just pitching a tent. So I decided, no, I'll just go down the hill onto the valley at the bottom there. The wind should be better there. I got to the bottom there, and I picked my spot. And when I picked my spot, I saw there was an elephant track running through it. I thought this might not be such a good idea. <laughs> so I continued riding and eventually it got dark and then I decided it's just not worth it. And I just stopped next to the road, pitched my tent and I slept there. But I didn't sleep that much. I kind of slept with one eye open because of the elephants and lions and all kinds of things like that. Those of you who know the area, Piros area, um, those animals are not behind fences there. <laughs> but I first want to give you a personal testimony. About 55 years ago, the age of five, that was the first memory I have of meeting God personally, experiencing God's presence. I, was, I have told you this before, but I was sitting in my dog's kennel and uh, there was a big storm going on, and I was really scared. And I held my dog, and kind of, I don't know what he was going to do. And then I felt the presence of God entering that little kennel. And the way that I felt it was that absolute peace came upon me. Now, needless to say, that experience had a great influence on my life. And since then, I've taken a couple of detours and so on. But the general direction of my life was set that day. 
Now, I firmly believe, or I should rather say I know for a fact, that God reveals himself to every person on this earth. I know that because God says so. And God is not a man that he would lie. And if you want to kind of think about experiences you've had in life, you know, the dreams you've had, the so-called coincidences that happened in your life, people, random people coming to you, telling you certain things, all those, all those things, God uses those circumstances and dreams and all kinds of things to speak to us. God reveals himself to us. And you can choose to ignore those, or you can choose to argue them away and say, just coincidence. But when you do that, you do that at your own peril. God has spoken to you. God has revealed himself to you. So back to my picture. That place was there before I was there. And it's still there today, while we're sitting here in church. But I had to, in faith that it exists, I had to actually go on a journey to go and experience it. Now, fortunately, that faith isn't blind faith. On the internet, I've seen pictures of that whole coast, that whole part of Koku and Damara, and um, I mean, I was absolutely intrigued. So I knew those places were there. But I couldn't experience them before I actually did, well, made a choice and then did the effort to go there. And that experience, that day, not only that day, but I was away for about two weeks and I had interesting times, but that experience was, words can't describe it. If you're sitting on those planes and, and, and on viewpoints like that all by yourself, I actually, at some point, I crashed my bike and I, I was quite sore. And I sent Elmeria a message on the sat phone saying, please remind me when I get home that we need to talk about my sanity. <laughs> but I got home and Elmeria said, there's nothing to talk about. You don't have sanity. So my journey, <laughs> my journey regarding this message started with the promise to Abram. And that was repeated and then inherited by Isaac. But I soon realized that that promise had its origin in Genesis, Genesis 1. And that line runs through the heart of God's word all the way to Revelation. And that line exists because God is love. Now there are, there are two verses that stands out for me that specifically state those and that's 1 John 4 verse 8 and verse 16 but the Bible, the concept, the Bible is full of it, of the concept but God is love and therefore he makes these promises to us because he made us to love us he made us because he is love In John 5, verse 16, we find the Jews or the Jewish leaders persecuting Jesus. And, and they did so on the grounds of the law, 
and in that specific instance, um, the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, there. Now, I just want want us to run through the Ten Commandments quickly. Um, I took it from Deuteronomy 5, verse 6 to 21, but um, the Nao here will pipe up and say it's also in. Okay. <laughs> First one, I'm the Lord your God. You must have no other gods beside me. You must not make for yourself an image of anything in heaven above or on earth below. And when I first typed this up, I stopped there and I gave it to Elmerie to proofread. And she said to me, so we're not allowed to make any images. Um, you can't say that because that's not the whole truth. So I added the rest. Or in the waters beneath, in order to worship or serve them. You must not, not make yourself, uh, you must not make use of the name of the Lord, your God, for worthless purposes. And the fourth one is the specific one on which they were busy grinding Jesus. Be careful to observe the Sabbath day, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to work and do all your tasks in six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On that day, you must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male slave, your female slave, your ox, your donkey, or any other animal, or the resident foreigner who lives with you, so that your male and female slaves, like yourselves, may have rest. Now, the reason why they, they attacked Jesus on the basis of this is he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. And then they said, you are transgressing the fourth commandment. Run through the last of them. Honor your father and your mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not offer false testimony against another. And you must not desire or covet anything that brings that, that does not belong to you. So, they brought these accusations against Jesus that he was busy transgressing the law. And then Jesus said a lot of things, but in John 5, verse 39 to 40, he really answered them. I'm sorry, I didn't put that onto the slideshow, but um, I only picked that up this morning and that was a bit late. You study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. It is these same scriptures that testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Now Jesus was basically telling them that eternal life is not bound up within the law. The intent of the law is not to provide eternal life. The intent of the law is something completely different. But the Jewish leaders of the day believed that the closer they kept the law, the better their chances to have eternal life. So Jesus says, eternal life is not found in that law. It's found within him, within Jesus. And it is in coming to Jesus and establishing a personal relationship with Jesus. In other words, experiencing his presence. Like I experienced that place to be in the company of Jesus and experience his presence. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now this is the core of my message. Jesus is the ultimate promise. Jesus is the way. 
Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the promised light. Now, the intent of my message this morning is to follow this line of God's promises through His Word with the intent to find out to what extent have I made these promises mine. Um, Last year we spoke about presents and, and we agreed that a present isn't worth much if it's not unpacked, if it's not opened. I need to open it. I need to own it. It is the same with God's promises. While they are still wrapped up, as far as I'm concerned, they can't have real effect in my life. They can maybe sit on a shelf somewhere, but they they can't have real effect in my life. So let us have a look at some of God's promises. Um, A while ago, we had a discussion in, I think, our discipleship class, and um, the discussion went about evolution, Big Bang, those kinds of things. And I said something, I can't remember exactly what, but something along the lines of, at least I believe in the Big Bang part, you know, because when God said, ooh, no, I'm going to blow your ears. But if, when God said, let there be light, I think there was a Big Bang. And when I started doing this sermon, I thought, when I said that, I didn't know that in a couple of weeks' time, my sermon's going to be exactly about that. Um, I must tell you that I yelled it so loud that some of the students went into some traumatic shock stuff, whatever. They can tell you afterwards who they were if they bold enough. So, light in this world. Starting in Genesis, God created the universe. And then he said, let there be light. Now, the significance of light, and I I found this part, this little description on the internet, and I, I just love it. It says, light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Don't you think that's cool? That's what light does. It stimulates sight and it makes things visible. It drives out the darkness. Yeah? Now, John 8.12 shows us that light, in a biblical sense, extends far beyond the physical. Jesus, being the light, says that that light is in the physical world, because he said, let there be light, but also in the spiritual, so that we can see things for what they really are, in both physical and spiritual. And that promise of light is still absolutely applicable to all um, aspects of my life. Then in Genesis 1, um, 26-27, we find that God created man, mankind, male and female, in his own likeness an image. Now you might say to me, that's not a promise. It is a promise. That promise is, you possess part of God's image. You were created that way. It's almost like because of the fall into sin, that image was distorted, 
and and if I can use an analogy here, it is almost like it created a hole within your soul. But that hole needs to be filled with something. You know, we all know if there's a vacuum, it wants to be filled. So, that image of God, some people fill it with all kinds of different spirituality things, with substances, with a chase of the money, whatever. But that hole can only be perfectly fitted with God's Spirit. The, the moment God's Spirit enters me, that hole is satisfied. It is not a vacuum anymore. There are no gaps anymore. Because, because I was made in God's image and His likeness, I have that need of God's Spirit within me. It also gives human beings very specific and special um, um, significance. The rest of creation is like the stage. And the humans are the actors on that stage. And God is the producer. Because we have his image. And that also means, and that is also part of the promise, that my life will not end on this earth. I will live it eternally in, in the presence of God because I am a child of God. Next one that I want to discuss is blessing. In Genesis 18, verse 18 and 19, God promised Abram, After all, Abram will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations on the earth may receive blessing through him. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then the Lord will give Abram what he promised him. <coughs> now this promise to Abram did not elevate Abram above the rest of mankind. It also didn't exclude any person ever been born from that promise. Actually, the exact opposite. God was very explicit about this. He said, through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Abram was chosen, but not chosen in the sense that he is now higher than the rest of humanity. Actually, he was chosen to serve humanity. And out of his line, the seed that it refers to is Jesus Christ, and he was born onto this earth as a servant. And that concept was um, confirmed in, in Luke 2, verse 10 to 12, by the angel. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. And the cool thing is, the angel says, today a child is born, but it doesn't say you have to just blindly believe me. What I'll do is I'll tell you where this baby is born, and I'll give you the circumstances so that you can go there and see for yourself. 
And when you see that I told you the exact truth, then you can know that that child is really the Savior. So he said to them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. But this blessing is connected to choice. Just as I had to make a decision to get onto my bike and ride, to be able to experience those places, so to experience the blessings, we have to make a choice. Now, Deuteronomy chapters 28 to 30, tells us clearly that we, we have to make a choice in order to experience God's presence. Um, but I just want to read the part from 30 verse 19 to 20. Today I invoke heaven and earth as a witness against you, that you have, that I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. I also call on you to love the Lord your God, to obey Him and be loyal to Him. For He gives you life and enables you to live continually in the land the Lord promised to give to your ancestors, Abram, Isaac and Jacob. So, what the Lord says is, make the choice and go on that journey. Because that journey will lead me into the presence of God so that I can experience God. But I have to make the choice and start the journey. The next promise that God gives us, or not the next, but yeah, is purpose in life. Now, Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people when they were in exile in Babylon, and he gave them very practical advice. Now, please realize that these people are inherently under control of the Babylonians. They're not free people. And um, I'll read just extracts from Jeremiah 29, verse 5 to 14. So he starts with build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they too can have sons and daughters. Grow in number. Do not dwindle away. And then work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. You, you are there as captives. But God says, in a practical way, get involved in that city and work for it so that that city may prosper. And then God adds another promise on top of that. And he, because he says, for as it prospers, you will prosper. Just think about this for a second. They are under control, under suppression of the Babylonians. And God says, pray for them and work together so that you can build the city. Because when they prosper, so will you. Why? Because God says so. For the Lord says, only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I take up consideration for you. Now, that phrase was a little bit difficult for me, but um, in other words, does it say that in the meantime God doesn't think about them? No, not at all, um, because God then continues and say, Then I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. So God says, while you are there, I will bless you. 
But when the time is right, I will bring you back to your own country. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. The point is still that is connected to a choice. It's not a universal promise that's applicable to everybody. It's applicable to those who choose because God continues to say, When you call to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. Now, in its immediate context, of course, God said those to the Israelites in Babylon, like I just said now. But Revelation 3 verse 20 shows that that exact words are still applicable to us today because that says, listen, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him and he with me. Remember when I said, I know that God calls everybody, that God reveals himself to everybody? Well, this verse shows it as well. It says that God is knocking on hearts and is inviting that God is not a bully. He invites us. He doesn't force us. We need to choose. In Hebrews 11 verse 6. Now without faith it is impossible to please him, him being God. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now for the last promise that I want to talk about. Light eternal. In Revelations 21, 22, verse two, verses 22 to 23. Oh dear, I didn't realize that. 21, 22, 23. Now I saw no temple in the city because the Lord God, the all-powerful, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God lights it up and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, in the beginning, God created light. And um, from our perspective, um, that light, the main source of it is the sun. But then we also have some stars that also provide a little bit of light. And there are planets who reflect that light. But all these things will come to an end. And then that created light will not be the source of light anymore. But the source of the creation will then be the light. In John 1 verse 1 to 3, we see that Jesus Christ is the creative part of God. So, Jesus created the natural light here on earth. But he created it as an example of himself. Because he is true light. So when Jesus created and he said, let there be light, it was as if he pumped a part of himself into this natural universe. In a sense, I can say to you, if you walk outside now and you feel those warm rays on your body, that is Jesus smiling on you. 
So this promise of light started in Genesis, and it runs straight through Scripture, through all those promises. I know the plans I have for you. All those promises, they are all, excuse the pun, lit up by the presence of Jesus. Now, I could have included, oh, and in the end, it culminates in heaven. That, that part from Revelation that I told you, that's where it culminates. Now, I could have included Noah, David, and a lot of other people, but oh, by now, you get my picture. So, back to my journey. The journey towards that eternal light starts with a decision. God knocks, God speaks, God calls, but then I've got to make a call and say, Here am I, Lord. But I can't just stop at, Here am I, Lord. I've got to go on the journey. In other words, I've got to say the full sentence, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I want to go on this journey. Now the pictures of this journey is all around us. But I have to caution you here. <laughs> I could have photoshopped that picture of mine. I could have added a four-lane highway, Todd Highway, towards the place. And I could tell you, don't worry about a thing. You can take your rental golf and polo, whatever, and you can drive there. Uh, tell you something, you would die on the way. You wouldn't get there. Fortunately, we have help to distinguish between true pictures and Photoshop pictures. And that help is God himself. This is one of God's other promises, and it's in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. But that part speaks about Israel, and so I have to put the concept of Israel into perspective first, so I first want to read you Galatians 3, verse 26 to 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Deneo, you're a son of God through faith. Because for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's descendants, is according to the promise. Now remember the promise? Through your seed I will bless all the nations on the earth. So this verse doesn't just include all believers into Israel. It also includes all of those into all the promises that God ever made. It says, you are heirs to that promise. When you accepted Christ, it became yours. You need to unpack it, but God has given it to you. So, I'll read the part from Jeremiah. Indeed, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt. For they violated their covenant, even though I was like a faithful husband to them, says the Lord. But I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel. Remember Galatians 3 verse 26 to 29? 
after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord. I will put my law in them and write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now listen closely. People will no longer need to teach their neighbors and relatives to know me. For all of them, from the least important to the most important, will know me, says the Lord. For I will forgive their sin and will no longer call to my mind the wrong that I have done. That last part doesn't say we don't need to come together on a Sunday morning so that we can be edified by each other and all that. Listen to God's word. It doesn't say that. What it does say is, if I show you a Photoshop picture of God, if I give you a lie, God will enable you to see that for what it is. For that reason, I can look at all these worldly pictures and I can see that one is good. That one is Photoshop. It's not good. It's a fake. But in order to distinguish between true and false, I need to be in Christ. The picture of my eventual destination, the eternal light, is found in Revelation 21, which I read to you earlier. But on my way there, I will visit different waypoints, different pictures, different places, and experience them. And um, this journey is called discipleship, or sanctification, or becoming more like Jesus. But within that, there are a whole bunch of other components as well. And um, Jesus modeled this journey. And in Luke 4.43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, for that is what I was sent to do, Jesus. But in James, in John 2 verse 6, it says, The one who says that he resides in God ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus' walk is described in Matthew 12 verse 18 to 21. At least part of it. Here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I take great delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or extinguish a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now, yes, that is Jesus. And in my name, the Gentiles can't put their hope. But Jesus gave us uh, an assignment to go and tell people about him. To take this good news that Jesus modeled how to do it. He went all around and told people about it. Well, he commissioned us to do the same in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to give you one last verse. This last verse, to me, is like, You know those collages we have in some of our homes of 
our whole family, but it's distinct little pictures of all the different people, but it's put together in one frame. That big frame to me is what Matthew 6.33 shows us. It says, Above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. These things, the waypoints on my way, the pictures that I look at and say, I want to visit that place. All those are driven by this final focus. Focus on God's kingdom. One of the ladies asked me in this week about the whole thing regarding purpose. So how do you know whether you are within God's will for your life? Um, Are you in the right job? Are you at the right place? Are you in the right relationships? All those different things. And I said to her, it's not so much about those things. What it is about is where is your focus? There where you are at this moment, the job you're doing, you're in the police force, you're in the a teacher, you whatever. There where you are, are you focusing on God's kingdom? Are you focusing on the task that Jesus gave us? That task is to reflect his life, light onto the world around us. So wherever you are, you can be within God's purpose for your life. So whilst I'm still sitting on a couch, I will only see pictures taken by others and listen to their experiences. In order to experience God's presence, His light, I need to make the decision and get up and ride.